0: Good morning, church. Good to see you all. If you are a guest with us this morning, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with us. My name is Stuart McCray. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff and just joy to be worshiping Jesus alongside of you, our great God and Savior, and now to be be hearing from our great God in his word. If you'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. While you turn there, if you've been here for a bit, you saw something new this morning, maybe if you're new, then you, it's no different. But I still want to tell you either way that if you notice something new, that is underneath uh, our, um, our worship slides, there were some passages. We, we love God's Word here. We, we stand on God's Word here. And and the way that we think about even our worship songs is, is trying to, to sing about the truths of Scripture. And so we are eager to, to make sure that the songs that we sing line up with the truth of God's Word. And so what you'll see underneath the slides now is one, two, three um, references that, that say, here's where this comes from God's truth. So I just want to encourage you with that. That's strategic in our efforts. 2 Timothy chapter 3 we'll be looking at verses 14 through 15. 2 Timothy 3: 14 through 15. Here we go. Let's read the text. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In in verse 12, so two verses before our passage, Paul told Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and and really that's just an echo of what Jesus told his disciples and disciples in and every generation in John 15:20 a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will persecute you also in america christians have for the most part not experienced the amount of or degree of persecution that our brothers and sisters have in other parts of the world. We, we sort of have long enjoyed sort of this, this bubble. Um, but there's a hole in it and it's leaking fast. Our culture is increasingly becoming antagonistic and hostile towards Bible-believing Christians. Recently, just, just up the street from us here, uh, a fellow Bible church church uh, is experienced, uh, had experienced some persecution from the media, both local National and global. I'll, I'll let you do the Google on that one. But, but here's the thing. They were shamed in the media for their biblical view on human sexuality. But this wasn't a view that was new to them. This is the view that they had long held. This is a view that we hold here at Grace Bible Church. In fact, friends, this is the same biblical view that the historic church has long held to. This is, this is basically taken from our our statement of faith, God's design from creation is that marriage be between one man and one woman and that all deviations from that design are sins against God, including premarital sex, adultery, pornography, most instances of divorce, polygamy, homosexual behavior. Listen, being a, a faithful Bible-believing Christian is not going to get easier, it's going to get harder. Grace Bible Church's time is coming your time is coming, my time is coming. Friends, it's no longer a question of if, but when. And so the question is, how do we persevere in the faith in the wake of expected and increasing persecution? Maybe you're experiencing some some measure of persecution now. How, are you, how do you hold up underneath the weight of it and not have your faith crushed? Now maybe you're like me and, and, and you're not presently experiencing persecution, but, but you're suffering or you're going through a trial. What's your strategy? I mean, we know that burying our heads in the sand doesn't work, how do we persevere in the faith? Well, in God's kindness, he has graciously given us the answer. In our passage, the Apostle Paul calls Timothy and us to persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture. God's answer for us is that disciples of Jesus persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture. Disciples of Jesus persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture. Let me give some quick context to our passage, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. Second, Second Timothy is, is the last letter that Paul wrote. He, he was seemingly beheaded shortly after uh, it was delivered. He, he, he wrote this letter to Timothy. That's the recipient. He loves Timothy. He even considers him like a child in the faith. So, Paul knows that he's a short-timer, and he wants to give Timothy one last charge, and and we could could consider this basically the, the message of this letter, and it's this, Timothy, persevere in the faith and in your ministry as a pastor. And so what he does throughout the rest of this letter is he goes back and forth encouraging Timothy, Timothy, persevere in the faith. Timothy, Timothy, persevere in the ministry, in your ministry of being a pastor, and in our passage is one of those instances where Paul calls Timothy to persevere in the faith and not abandon it in the face of suffering and persecution. And friends, this is, this is a word for us too. In the wake of expected and increasing persecution, in the midst of suffering and trials, disciples of Jesus persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture. Paul's going to give us four reasons to cling to Scripture, but but before he does that, he, he calls us to persevere. So let's reread verses 14 through 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here we find the call of God through Paul to persevere in the faith. Right from the jump, Paul tells Timothy to live in contrast to those that he mentioned in verse 13, right right ahead of this. He says, Timothy live in contrast to those, the evil people, the imposters who go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. You see, no matter how much persecution, how much suffering that Timothy experienced, no matter how much cultural pressure he's under to abandon the faith, Paul calls Timothy to continue to remain faithful to what he had been discipled in and to what he had become firmly convinced of. Paul calls to persevere in the faith based on Timothy's confidence in what he had learned and firmly believed and who he had learned it from. Let's start with this latter. The bulk of Paul's encouragement is actually encouragement towards scripture and clinging to scripture, but he does note that Timothy should have some confidence in whom he learned it from. Timothy grew up in a home um, that we we see from scripture where his father did not believe in the Lord Jesus, but in a home where his mother and grandmother did. And in chapter 1, verse 5 of this letter, uh, we read Paul tell Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. These are the dear ladies that, that disciple of Timothy when he was a little boy, his his mother, his his grandmother. And you see, before Paul appeals to the confidence that Timothy should have in Scripture, he appeals to him to have confidence in the character of those who taught him the Scripture. Lois and Eunice faithfully taught Timothy the truths of Scripture, biblical worldview, and that forgiveness of sins is found through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Friends, there's something to be said here about the character of those who are discipling. Let me say like this Friends, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you, I, we have been called to make disciples, and our character counts. Let me give a quick word to, to parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and then I'll, I'll say a quick word then to, to all disciples of Jesus. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, if you're a disciple of Jesus, your character counts. Counts and your intentional care and love for your children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews matters. Parents, we, we have been given a, a, a grace-filled calling by God to be the ones who are primarily responsible for teaching the truths of Scripture and the gospel to our children. And our character and the way that we love and care for our children impacts our discipleship of them. Now, now listen, this, this is good news for me, <laughs> trust me, and I, and I hope this is good news for you. God is pleased to use imperfect parents to communicate the truths of the scripture and the gospel to their children. Amen? Amen. I'm not suggesting, parents, that your child's salvation is dependent on you. God is the one who saves. But I am, hopefully, very clearly saying that your character and the way that you love and care for your children is important. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, you too have been given a strategic opportunity. And if the, the child's uh, parents are disciples of Jesus, that, that certainly that opportunity is much easier. But nevertheless, your character your life are a testimony to Jesus everyone else we're all called to make disciples and all of us need to take to heart this pearl of wisdom our character impacts our discipleship efforts so Timothy was to continue in the faith based on his confidence in those who discipled him. But ultimately, his confidence was to not stand on them, but on what you have learned and firmly believed, what they taught him. You see, Paul spends the rest in the majority of our passage telling Timothy that he's to persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture, and that's true for us too, friends. If we want to persevere in the faith, we must cling to scripture. So, what Paul does now is he provides four reasons. Four reasons for us to cling to Scripture. He, he's, he's gonna persuade us, he's gonna argue for us, he's gonna try to try to compel us. Cling to Scripture, and he gives us four reasons. The first: Scripture is life-giving. Let's reread verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The first reason that disciples of Jesus persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture is because Scripture is life-giving. Scripture can make us wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. The sacred writings that Paul has in view here is the Old Testament. I think if I took a straw poll from most of us and I said, do you think that the Old Testament can make us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, most of us might have some questions. Maybe even think, ah, I'm just not sure. Jesus, Old Testament? And I think we think the exact opposite if I said the same about the New Testament. Yep, that makes sense. What's what's amazing here is that Paul is saying that the Old Testament is able to make us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees in John 5, 39 through 40. Listen to this. He tells them, you search the scriptures, referring to the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures don't save. There's no magic in just reading or saying the words. But the scriptures do, even the Old Testament, point to the one who does. One biblical scholar says it like this. The whole Bible focuses on Jesus. The Old Testament is Jesus predicted. The Gospels are Jesus arrived. Acts is Jesus preached. Epistles are Jesus explained. And the Revelation is Jesus coming again. The whole Bible focuses on Jesus. Friend, Scripture is life-giving, not because it saves, but because it consistently and cumulatively points to Jesus as the Christ and as the one who needs to be trusted in for the forgiveness of our sins. Let me take just a moment and speak to those of us who see this as as a good book, as a historically reliable book, but mainly just a book of morals. If that's you, I do want to affirm that this book has values, Christian morals in it that we are called to obey. But that obedience is a response of thanks to Jesus for saving us. You see, this book is first and foremost one unified story about God the Father's Plan that he devised in eternity past to seek and save a rebellious people for himself through Jesus Christ. Everything is about that or a consequence of that. Let's think about our obedience for just a, a second more. The Bible says that our obedience is never a cause of who we are with respect to our eternal status in God's kingdom and family. Right? Because if it was, then we're just merely earning our salvation through obedience. But we know that's not true. We know that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. You see, friends, our, our obedience is a result of and a response to what God has already done for us in Jesus. Jesus. Our obedience is not something that causes God to love us. No, God's grace and his love towards us precedes and motivates and empowers our efforts towards holiness. Friends, we don't read our Bibles as a list of do's and don'ts, but but we do so to receive and respond to the life-giving truths that Jesus loved us before we loved him. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That Jesus raised us to new life in him. And he's coming back again. And he'll set everything wrong right. Friends, I, I thank God. I, I, I said it in my prayer earlier, and I, and I love to pray this. I thank God that he has preserved his word all these many years for us so that we could know him, know what he's done for us in Christ and what he's calling us to do and be by his grace. Okay, Paul Paul tells us that we should cling to scripture because it's life-giving. Reason two, reason two. Let's reread uh, verse 16a. If you were, if last week you got the whole letter thing, but letters are just a way to to articulate logical divisions within a verse. I'm just talking about the first half of 16. So here we go. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Stop. The second reason that disciples of Jesus persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture is because Scripture is authoritative. Scripture is authoritative. Paul describes describes Scripture as breathed out by God. The Greek word here is actually a compound of two Greek words, God and breathe out. In other words, the Bible is given by the work of God's Spirit. Peter helps us to see this here in 2 Peter one twenty one, when he says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, through the Holy Spirit, God breathed out his words through human authors. This is... This is pretty uh acts 425 says, Lord, you said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our Father David, your servant, and then the disciples quote Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Wow. All scripture is God breathed. The old testament, the new testament. And the Old Testament is, in fact, what Paul primarily has in mind here, but it does include the New Testament. It's all God breathed. It's fascinating. In their own time, the apostles considered their own writings as scripture. They knew what God was doing. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter refers to Paul's letters as scripture. Friends, the Bible both contains and is in whole and in part, God's word. And because Scripture is God breathed, all of it is totally authoritative. Red letters, black letters, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole thing. The whole thing. In other words, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's why you often hear saying something like, um, "God through Paul commands us." Right? You see, when when we read commands from Paul, Peter, or or, or whomever, they carry the weight of God of commands given by God. These are God's words, not just some dude's words. These are God's words, and they're authoritative. Theologian Wayne Grudem says that because the words in Scripture are God's words, that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Listen, since the Bible claims that it is God's word and there is no one with more authority than God, there is then no higher authority than the Bible. The Bible is totally authoritative because the Bible says it is. Now, that's a circular argument, and and some may have issues with that. Maybe you have issues with that or or just find that a a little odd. But when arguing for an absolute authority, one must ultimately appeal to that authority for proof. To appeal elsewhere for proof would be to actually claim that that thing has the higher authority. This is just the way it works when you're arguing for highest authority, right? You, you could say something like, well, my reason is my ultimate authority because it's reasonable for me to think that. Or, or you could say logic is the highest authority, but you have to say because it's logical for me to think that. that. That's the way this works. But you know what? I think our real problem is, is that we struggle with authority, don't we? we even struggle with God's authority. I mean, look, let's, let's be painfully honest. We, we've all thought at times that sneaking suspicion that maybe we're smarter than God. Maybe we know better than he does. Now look, those, those words will never exit our mouths, will they? But all of us can from time to time live that way, can't we? All of us from time to time can choose to say with our actions, I know it's clear in scripture. I know what God's commanded me to do. I'm not gonna do it. And in those moments, we ascend to the throne of our hearts and like a coup, we remove Jesus and claim his authority over our lives. Friends, we're always confronted with these decision points where we can either choose to Submit to God's authority or rail against it, claiming our authority as superior? And we justify ourselves too, don't we? Ah, this is too black and white. My situation seems grayer. God doesn't understand my situation. You know, if he did, he'd, he'd take away my jerk boss. Then I wouldn't have to be so. If my spouse would finally just give me some attention, then I, then I wouldn't have to. And if my children would just obey, then I wouldn't feel so. If God would have just allowed the bonus to come through, then I, then I wouldn't have to. Man, my parents' expectations are too unreasonable, so I, so I have to. I know what God says about this, but he'll forgive me, so. And honestly, it's even just far more subtle than that, right? We don't normally consciously go through those type of things, but sort of deep within the recesses of our hearts, that, that, that happens. That goes on, and yet, you see, that's what, it, that's what it looks like. That's what it might as well be like when we disobey what we know God has commanded us to do otherwise. Friends, it's as simple as this, and trust me, I'm I'm speaking to myself here. If God's word is a totally, if it is totally authoritative, then it must be submitted to. Now look, we're we're not gonna do this perfectly. Poster child. But there's grace to pursue submission. And there's grace to pursue repentance when we don't. All right, Paul tells us that we should cling to scripture because it is totally, absolutely authoritative. Reason number three let's reread verse 16. All of it here, we'll read all of it. All, all scriptures be that by God. And here we go and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The third reason that disciples of Jesus persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture is because Scripture is sufficient. In other words, Scripture doesn't need us to add anything to it nor take anything away from it. Pastor Kevin DeYoung helps us when he says, uh, to affirm the sufficiency of Scripture is not to suggest that the Bible tells us everything we want to know about everything, but it does tell us everything we need to know about what matters most. Scripture does not give exhaustive information on every subject, but in every subject on which it speaks, it says only what is true. And in its truth, we have enough knowledge to turn from sin, find a Savior, make good decisions, please God, and get to the root of our deepest problems. Let me, let me actually encourage you with that. That's from this book. Um, welcome to come up and check it out afterwards. Uh, really want to encourage you towards this. This is a very helpful um, book about scripture to love to love and submit to scripture. Paul says that all scripture is profitable and beneficial. Paul mentions four things. Paul mentions four things, but they actually fall underneath two broad categories, doctrine and behavior. Four things that actually in pairs and they fall under two large categories, doctrine and behavior. And within each of these pairs, there's sort of a, a positive and a negative, if you will. Let, let's, let's take a look. The text says, all Scripture is profitable for teaching, that's positive, and for reproof, negative. So doctrine is the broader category that these two fall underneath. Scripture is sufficient for teaching. It's sufficient to teach us and instruct us and what we must believe in order to be saved. And it's sufficient to teach us what we must know about who God is and what God does. Scripture is sufficient to instruct us about, about creation, about sin, about who we are, about Satan, about the afterlife, about salvation, about Christ's return, and so on and so on. Scripture is also sufficient for reproof. It's sufficient for us to know what is doctrinally wrong and so to be able to give it reproof. You see, Scripture is, is totally sufficient to, to teach us like the good things that we should know, but it's, it's, it's totally and completely sufficient for us to be able to discern and rebuke wrong and false doctrine as well. Scripture is sufficient for doctrine, for, for godly thinking, The text also says that all scripture is profitable for correction and for training in righteousness. Behavior, behavior is the broad category that these things fit underneath. Scripture is sufficient for correction. It's sufficient to bring correction to our behavior that's, that's ungodly. The Greek word for correction is pretty sweet. It gives this idea of straightening out what is crooked. So scripture is sufficient to, to straighten us out. It's it's sufficient to straighten us out from those actions that are not pleasing to the Lord and to restore us to godly living. That's good news. Scripture is also sufficient for training in righteousness. In other words, it's sufficient to disciple us towards holiness. This this training language captures the idea of educating. In in other words, Scripture is sufficient to, to school us in living a life pleasing to the Lord. But we often, though, don't live in the good of the sufficiency of Scripture, do we? An indicator of our functional or dysfunctional belief in the sufficiency of Scripture resides, I think, in the answer to the question of where do you instinctively turn when you need an answer? When you're confused, worried, looking for wisdom, where do you turn? Like right there, does something come into your mind? What was that thing? You see, I may articulate belief in this truth on Sunday mornings, but what am I really saying during the rest of the week when I turn to other things or other people And maybe even for worldly wisdom. Or or maybe when I just turn to myself and seeking my own sort of wisdom. Now now listen, our friends, and maybe we know that's what we're gonna get to, our friends can help us in this area. They they can give us God's word and the wisdom that we need. And that, that that would be leaning in and enjoying sufficiency of scripture, okay? But, That's not always what we get, and that's not always what we're looking for when we turn to our friends. Where do you turn? Let's be a little introspective. If not to God, why? What's behind that? Do you turn elsewhere because you simply don't know that the Bible addresses your problems? Could be. But if that's you, let me encourage you. What we've learned here this morning is that the Bible is sufficient for right thinking and right living. Friends, you you may not know where to turn, but be assured if, if you're in some sort of spot, some sort of jam, and you don't know how to think about it, process it, and you're not sure how to respond to it, the Bible is sufficient to give you the help you need. Now, maybe you know that the Bible can provide you the help you need, but you willfully choose to turn elsewhere. If that's you, friends, let me tell you something that you also probably already know. It's foolish, and it's sinful. I mean, let's be honest. Maybe we're just downright lazy and find it easier to go to Google or a friend. But maybe we, we, we just sinfully don't want to allow Scripture to straighten us out and tell us where we're sinning. For, for most of this, this, this comes back to an authority issue. We know what the Bible says. We don't like it so we act like it's not sufficient and turn elsewhere. Look, I'm gonna say what I said before, there's, there's grace for change here. There's grace to pursue God's word and there's grace to repent of our sin in this. Okay, Paul tells us that we should cling to scripture because it's completely sufficient. All right, one more reason, one more reason to clean the Scripture. Let's reread 17. Uh, That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The fourth reason that disciples of Jesus persevere in the faith by cleaning the Scripture is because Scripture is effectual. You see, because Scripture is both totally authoritative and completely sufficient, it has an intended effect. It produces something in the lives of those who cling to it. The, the word that or so that in verse 17 refers to purpose. All scripture is authoritative and sufficient for this purpose, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So sisters and, and brothers, we, we are God's workmanship, whom he's given new life to in Jesus for the purpose of doing the good things that he has prepared beforehand for us to do. And listen, the purpose of God's word is not to produce spiritual fatheads like the arrogant biblical intellectuals. No, God's word is totally authoritative and all-sufficient word is designed to ready and fully equip his people for all the good things that he has prepared beforehand for them to do. I mean, let's say it like this. We, we have in our hands a God-given instrument that was intentionally designed to ready us and arm us for the work that our gracious Heavenly Father will gift us to do. In other words, there is nothing that God calls anyone to do that he does not equip them to do through Scripture. If we're to be ready for and equipped to do the things that God will call us to do, if we're to persevere in the faith, we must cling to this effectual book. You see, the scripture that we're clinging to has, has equipping grace, equipping grace for us to be able to be capable to face every challenge and accomplish all the things that the Lord has prepared for us to do. And the question for us is, are we clinging to it? Are we allowing it to have its effect on our hearts and on our minds? Are we opening it and allowing it to prepare and equip us? Friends, it's it's not too late. It's not too late. Now's the time. Download the Bible app. Take it off the shelf. It's not too late. There's grace for change here. Look, maybe you just struggle with reading. I hear you. Reading is hard work for me. Let me encourage you with a thought. Let me encourage you with a thought. It gets traction done for me. In God's infinite wisdom, he determined to reveal himself through a book. And because he decided to reveal himself in a book, there must be grace his grace to pick it up, to open it, to understand it, to apply it to our lives. Friends, if you struggle with reading, God revealing himself into a book was not some sort of joke on us. There's grace to do this. There's grace for change here. Let me just encourage you um, towards the invest class. If you're new and, and you don't know what, the, what invest is, think, think Sunday school, but Monday nights, right? And this particular class is on inductive Bible study methods. If, if you are eager, and I, and I hope and pray that you are, if you are eager to want to know how to open up the book and read it for yourself and understand it and apply it to your lives, this class is for you. I wanna encourage you towards that. Starts tomorrow night. The, the book, one of the books they're gonna be going through is, is Dig Deeper. I think they're gonna have some copies for you. If you don't, I, I'm, I'm sure this can be primed to you like tonight. Um, gotta love Amazon. Look, so Paul tells us that we should cling to Scripture because it's effectual. Family, we, we need to be realistic and, and sober-minded that the the bubble's been perforated and it's leaking bad our, our culture is growing more and more hostile towards Bible faithful Bible believing Christians friends if we're gonna if we're going persevere in the wake of expected and increasing persecution if we're going to persevere just through suffering and the trials that will be, that are faced in a fallen and broken world, friends, we must cling to Scripture. This is what, in the kindness of the Lord, he is wisely telling us to, disciples of Jesus, persevere in the faith by clinging to Scripture. Because Scripture is life-giving, authoritative, sufficient, and effectual. Beloved, if if we're to remain unmoved in our faith through persecution, suffering, and trials, we must stand firm on the unshakable and immovable foundation of the Bible. Let's pray. God, you are so kind to your children that you would not only preserve your word, but, man, you would have this word in it, this word for us Father, that you would encourage us towards perseverance in the faith and that you'd give us the help and insight and wisdom on how to do that by clinging to your word, your life-giving, your grace-filled, your transformative word. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to walk out of here changed changed by the word of God. Have new convictions, new, new affections for the word. Help us to to. Open it up. Open it up. Take and read. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.